Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you can get podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Sacking Box. I am Matt Verderam, not alongside Josh Hill, who is out this week, uh, but we have plenty to talk about. I am recording this on Tuesday afternoon. Frank Clark has been traded to the Kansas City Chiefs. We are two days away from the first round of the NFL draft. The schedule came out last week, so there's so many different things to get to, uh, and, and look, I think everybody's focused right now on the NFL draft. And, and so we'll touch on the schedule a tiny bit later on. Uh, and, and we'll talk about here the Chiefs and, and Frank Clark and what it all means, not only for the Chiefs, but for the Seahawks, for the draft as well. Uh, and then we will get into everything you could possibly think of for Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday afternoon. Because there's a lot to dive into, whether you're talking about the quarterbacks, you're talking about simply some of the better teams in the league and which directions they may go. Seattle gets the number 29 overall pick this year and gets the Chiefs' 2020 second round pick. Now, the Chiefs also have the 49ers' second round pick for next year. So they were able to keep what probably will be the better of the two picks. And they Ironically, got that pick for D. Ford, who Frank Clark in a lot of ways is replacing. Now, this is a good spot to really drill into this trade because unlike a lot of other mediums, you can't dive as deep as you'd like to. And with Clark, there's a lot of nuance, especially when you consider the team that traded for him. The Chiefs love to paint themselves, or at least have in the past, as a stereotypical Midwestern type of team, really big on family values, really big on community, really big on being that neighbor that opens the door and holds it open. If the Chiefs try to portray themselves that way going forward, it's a joke. They're not that team. They're now the team that is willing to take a lot of risks and extremely expensive risks to win the Super Bowl. And from a football standpoint, there's nothing wrong with that. They are trying to win, and they're in the NFL. They're not in the moral business. And so from that standpoint, you get it. Frank Clark is a better player than D Ford. When that trade went down, I reached out to a handful of people in the league that I know, and I had one general manager get back to me about that trade and said, look, D Ford, comparing him to Frank Clark is like comparing Joe Flacco to Patrick Mahomes. And I don't think that was meant as a dig toward D Ford. I think it was more of a compliment toward Frank Clark. Frank Clark is one of the top five pass rushers in the NFL, and that's being loose with it. He might even be higher than that. Okay, he's 25 years old. 
Last year, he had 14 sacks. The year before that, he had nine. The year before that, he had 10. And he's on a team, a good team, no question, in Seattle, but not a team that is typically leading by multiple scores where he's going to be able to just pin his ears back and rush the passer constantly. That, that's not the way it's worked in Seattle because they play a lot of tight games. It's their styles, the way they play. And so going to Kansas City, there's going to be plenty of times where he's going to say, the heck with worrying about run defense. I'm pinning my ears back and going for it. That all said, he also can stop the run. He's very good against the run, and that's something D. Ford wasn't. The Chiefs made a lot of high-profile moves on defense this offseason. Okay? They, they cut Justin Houston. They traded D. Ford, as I talked about, to San Francisco for the 2020 second rounder. They cut Eric Berry. The reality of it is, is Eric Berry has not played for the Chiefs in two years. He's been dealing with Achilles and heel injuries. That is a non-entity. Okay, It doesn't factor into the equation. The Chiefs this year basically took Ford and Houston and turned that cap space, which would have been $21 million for Houston on a cap hit for this year, and then it would have been about eighteen for Ford on the tag. And they said, we will trade D. Ford and Justin Houston and a first-round pick for Frank Clark, Tyron Matthew, and Alex Okafor. Say what you will about and you want to throw in Brashad Breeland as well, although he didn't cost that much, it would have been able to afford him anyway. You probably know Progressive Insurance for insuring your home and auto. You may know Flo and Dr. Rick. But what you may not know is that Progressive helps employees support over 3,800 charitable organizations annually because we're committed to helping our employees, and our employees are committed to helping others. Anyway, we just wanted to share. We were a little too proud of it to keep it to ourselves. And if you already knew all of this about us, you've either heard this radio spot before or just randomly know a lot about Progressive. Find out more about how we're dedicated to our customers and communities at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates based on data from May 2020 through April 2021. That's where they went with it. That's what the Chiefs did. They got younger. They got more athletic. I think football-wise, it's impossible to argue that the Chiefs are not significantly better defensively. They now have Fuller and Breland at the corners, Fuller in the slot. Okay, They have Tyron Matthew, who can play anywhere in the secondary, but he's a phenomenal safety. Frank Clark and Chris Jones up front, good luck finding a better tandem of pass rushers than that. And one of them's on the inside, which makes it even better. They have Alex Okafor. They have a second-round pick from a year ago in Breland Speaks. They really like him at the end. He can even reduce down inside. But Kansas City, the offense is no question about it. And by the way, defensively, they get rid of Bob Sutton. They add Steve Spagnuolo. So I'll wrap up my thoughts with this. You look at it and you say... You look at this trade and you say, look, there, there are real questions about who, who Frank Clark the person is. When he's at the University of Michigan, he was charged with a domestic violence, and, and that ended up getting pleaded down. It was found in court that he, he didn't strike the woman in question, and he, out, he is now married to her and has a child with her for whatever that's worth. Okay. There are a lot of questions about Frank Clark's character. By the way, go, go beyond that, although that is the most glaring example. The Chiefs are making a huge bet. I mean, the second this trade goes through, they sign him five years, $105.5 million, $63.5 guaranteed. Basically get the Marcus Lawrence's contract. If Frank Clark screws up, the Chiefs are up the creek without any kind of a paddle. So the Chiefs are taking a massive risk here. But if it pans out and he turns out to be fine off the field, there's no reason that this isn't a home run for Kansas City and you live with giving up the draft compensation. As for Seattle, look, he clears the decks. 
they, they get more picks. They only had four going into this draft. Now they have an extra first rounder. They will probably try to trade back a few more, kind of have a full draft class here. And now they can assign, they can sign Bobby Wagner with a huge deal. They can sign John Reed down the line. But it leaves a hole on their team. There's no question. Without him, there's no pass rush. Seattle doesn't have a pass rush without Frank Clark. So they lose him and Earl Thomas off that defense. They did nothing to replace him. Hard to see Seattle making another playoff push. And I thought last year they were rebuilding, and they went to the playoffs. So give them credit. Maybe they did that again behind the, the duo of Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. But that's a lot to ask. That is a lot to ask. The Seahawks are in a better division than they were a year ago. The 49ers should be healthier. The Cardinals should be more competitive. The Rams roster is still very good. And going back to it quickly for Kansas City, with that defense, if Tyree Kill, if the investigation into him right now revolving around the child, the, the alleged child abuse of his three-year-old son, if that doesn't result in disciplinary action for him and he's on the Chiefs, they are the Super Bowl favorite. And they are right now in Vegas anyway. But that team is the favorite. They're the best team in football. And I can genuinely say, because everyone who listens to this knows that I grew up rooting for Kansas City. I have never picked the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. Ever. You don't believe me? Go back and look. I'm picking them to win the Super Bowl this year. They're the best team in football. And Frank Clark is a huge addition. And now the Chiefs still going to the draft here with two second-round picks, third-round picks, so they still have some ammunition. Uh, but General Manager Brett Veach uh, landing a big fish on Tuesday in, in Frank Clark. And so we'll see how it all shakes. Uh, there's a lot of ways this thing could go. But it's a big move for a team that is in win-now mode. There is no doubt about it. So we talked a little bit about the NFL draft there. Obviously, you know, now Seattle sitting there with, with two first-round picks instead of just the one. The Chiefs now don't have a first-round pick for the second year in a row. Uh, all those things change every mock draft out there because now you got to factor all that in. Um, look, the bottom line is when you're looking at the draft this year, you hear a common refrain over and over and over in NFL circles. Nobody has any idea what's going to happen. There are so many question marks because a lot of the talents in this draft are not separated by very much. Now, sometimes there's drafts where the top 15 players, the top 12 players are considered blue chippers. And then after that, there's a significant drop off and so on and so forth. And there's, you know, tiers every 15 to 20 picks. This draft is not like that. This draft, a lot of people feel there's not much difference between pick number 12 and pick number 70. It's just, there's so much quality in this draft. And maybe not those high-end, you know, Dominican Sioux coming out of Nebraska types. Uh, but there's just a lot of really good players. And so you're going to see teams trying to trade back far more than teams trying to trade up. Because teams want to have quantity in this draft. And, of course, there's always going to be some that would like to get up because they have one specific player that they're targeting and they really love. Uh, but let's start right at the top. Everybody's talked about this from months, Arizona Cardinals. Will they, won't they, when it comes to Kyler Murray? My belief is that the Cardinals want to trade that pick. I've felt that way for most of the last three months, although I will admit there have been times where you waffle on it because there's so much smoke coming out. No, no, the Cardinals are going to take Murray. I have always felt it made the most sense for the Cardinals 
to trade out of that spot, get as much as much draft capital as possible, and rebuild the rest of that team around Josh Rosen. Because I think Josh Rosen can play, and the rest of that team is a dumpster fire. There is no nice way of putting it. That team has no talent offensively outside of David Johnson, who I think with a good offensive line can bounce back, and an aging Larry Fitzgerald. The line is awful. They don't have a lot of depth at receiver. They don't have tight ends. Uh, defensively, look, they have some pieces, but they need plenty more. Okay? The, if the Cardinals can trade out of that pick, they should be doing it immediately. In my mailbag that I do every Friday on Fanside, I floated the idea of, look, everybody knows the Raiders love Kyler Murray. This is not a secret. This is being out in the open for at least two months. Okay? If you were in Indianapolis, you heard this, you, should, you maybe even saw it. The Raiders are big on Murray. Now, how big are they? We're going to find out in a few days. But the Raiders hold the 4th, the 24th, the 27th pick, and the 35th pick. Okay, Obviously, the first three in the first round, the second one, or the last one they're coming in the second round, the very beginning of it. If you used a draft chart that Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones made popular in the early 90s with Dallas, it's almost a perfect trade if the Cardinals were to trade one to the Raiders for four, for 24, and for 35. Now, would Oakland give up that amount of capital? Well, if they believe that Kyler Murray is the franchise, they should give it up. Because if they get Murray, they'd still have another first-round pick. So if you're the Raiders, look, it, it wouldn't be the worst idea in the world. Now, the Raiders do not have their third-round pick. In one of the worst trades you've ever seen, they traded that to Pittsburgh for Martez Bryant, who never even really had a cup of coffee with the Raiders before being gone. Okay, so if the Raiders were to do that, they wouldn't have a second-round pick. They would have a third, but they would have Kyle Murray, and they'd have another first-round pick. And they could always trade back, and they could get extra picks. So you could always maneuver. But if the Raiders feel that Murray's that guy, I think they should they should really take the plunge because they're in a the division where Let's face it, if, if you don't have a quarterback, you're not beating Kansas City for the next dozen years, not with Mahomes. And Rivers, even though he's 38 in December, he showed no signs of slowing down. So the Chargers are still in really good shape there for at least a couple of years, you would think. It's very, very, very interesting to see what the Raiders do. They hold the keys to this draft in a lot of ways. Draft capital is king come Thursday night, and no team has more of it in terms of value than the Raiders. The Giants and the, and the, the Pats have the most picks of anything. They have 12. But the Raiders have three first-round picks. No other team has that. The Packers have, have a pair. They certainly are in the mix to make a move. The Giants have a pair. But the Raiders have everything at their fingertips. They can make any trade they want. They even have a first-round. They have two first-round picks next year. They have the Bears pick for Khalil Mack. So what do they do? Ian Rapport of Mental Network said that, look, they are going to make a surprise pick. At least that's the belief at number four. To me, that, that has to be a quarterback. If, if it's a surprise, it has to be a quarterback because any defensive player there within reason is not a surprise. There's just so many, you know, Josh Allen, Quentin Williams, Devin White, guys like that, that, that wouldn't be surprising. Um, and they're not going to take a running back or a receiver there. That wouldn't be surprising. That would be a fireable offense. I mean, there's just nobody even remotely close to being worth that value. So other than maybe a, a, an offensive lineman like a Jonah Williams, that screams Kyler Murray if he somehow falls, Dwayne Haskins, maybe Drew Locke, although I, that would be a 
even more stunning than surprising. Ultimately, I think Arizona takes this thing to the 11th hour if they have to. They try to trade this pick. If they can't, and they... Jamie's Log, Progressive, the Harrington's Backyard, Day 4, 2.18 a.m. I've been camping outside the Harrington house for four days now, proving that Progressive has 24-7 protection. Mr. Harrington says I don't need to do this, since Progressive protects 24-7 is a pretty easy concept to grasp, but I'm going to stay and prove my point. Besides, there's a big tree branch over the roof, and I think it's planning something. Progressive doesn't just offer a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, just not literally from Jamie. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Sit at one, then I think they probably do take Murray, and then they trade Rosen. And by the way, if the Raiders were to take Murray, they, they still have Derek Carr. They can trade Derek Carr, okay, and get some competition back. So the, the Raiders also have that in their back pocket. It's not as though they'd make all those trades or that they'd make that trade with all that capital and then they'd be out of luck. So the Raiders still have a lot of cards to play. Um, moving down the order, okay, you know, we could talk all day long. The Niners and Bosa's there, I think it's the slam dunk. Okay, the Jets. It's a choice at that point, likely between Quinn and Williams and Josh Allen. I, in my only mock draft, it's dropped on the offense side. The only one I believe you're long, I, I picked Josh Allen together. I think Allen makes the most sense out of Kentucky. Um, he is a tremendous athlete, and he's the edge rusher the Jets have desperately needed for years. We talked about the Raiders. The, the Buccaneers, that's been a pick that almost everybody in Penn has had Devin White, a linebacker at LSU going there. I, it makes a ton of sense. Okay, they, they lost Quan Alexander. They need help there. Then you get to the Giants. The Giants are fascinating. From my money, if you listen to Dave Gettleman and you pay attention to what he says, they are going to go defensive there. They need defensive help in the worst way. This is a team that let Landon Collins inexplicably walk. This is a team that traded Olivier Vernon. They don't have any talent defensively. You get the Giants' depth chart defensively. It's right there with the Raiders. And frankly, probably even worse than the Raiders in terms of just defensive depth. They have nothing. Okay? You can add, here's the Giants' depth chart right now. B.J. Hill, Dallin Tomlinson, Olsen Pierre on defense, on, up front. Linebackers, Kareem Martin, Al Goldtree, B.J. Goodson, Lorenzo Carter. And then the corners, okay, if, you, if you're looking at Nickel, Sam Deal, Janoris Jenkins, Grant Haley, Safeties, Antoine Bethea, and Jabril Peppers. That is a bomb. They can take a defensive player with every single pick in it, their defense still wouldn't be any good. So if you're going to start building up this defense with all the – Players here, and this is a defensive heavy draft. I, I don't know how they don't take a defensive player. I, I really, really, really don't see that happening. Now, at 17 with the Giants, I think they're going Daniel Jones if he's there. They have so many connections to Daniel Jones. You got to factor in that play with Duke and David Cutcliffe is the head coach at Duke. Well, guess what? David Cutcliffe has an incredible relationship with the Manning family. Daniel Jones and Eli Manning know each other. Uh, Eli Manning would love nothing more than to tutor Daniel Jones. It makes all the sense in the world from those standpoints for Daniel Jones to end up in New York. And if you don't think the connections matter in the NFL, believe me, the NFL is as incestuous as it gets with that kind of stuff. It matters. So, 
I look at the Giants as a team to watch with those couple of picks in the first round, the first 17 selections. Then there's one area where I think this draft can really turn in the first round, where mock drafts are either going to start looking smart or they're going to be completely flipped on the rear and thrown out the window. And if you've ever paid attention to the history of mock drafts, the latter is far more likely. So Denver picks 10. Cincinnati picks 11. Denver is still licking its collective wounds from the Paxton Lynch fiasco. Okay, John Elway has long had a type of quarterback, and that type is someone who looks like him. Big, imposing, physically a strong-armed kid who can make all the throws around the field. John Elway was that and everything else at Stanford. The difference was John Elway also had it between the ears, and John Elway has arm talent like few players have ever had in this league. He went and got Paxton Lynch in the 2016 draft, and it was an unmitigated disaster. Okay, Lynch lasted two years in Denver, played four games, we start four games, literally one of the worst first-round quarterback picks of all time. But now the Broncos find themselves picking 10th, and it's been the worst-kept secret in NFL circles since Senior Bowl. The Broncos love Drew Locke. Now, they may get to 10, and some players might be there. They'd love more. But they absolutely are big fans of, of Missouri's Drew Locke. Okay? And again, he's a big kid, big arm, and a lot like Paxton Lynch, with accuracy issues in college, and he's more of a project than he is a polished starter. Now, guys come out of the NFL all the time, or come into the NFL all the time, and they're not polished, and coaches get hold of them, and they go forward. But... If Denver were to draft quarterback, who's going to be the one polishing that stone? Is it Vic Fangio, the 60-year-old defensive coordinator who's never been a coach, a head coach at any level? They thought Gary Kubiak was going to be the offensive coordinator. That ended up not being the case. Gary Kubiak ends up going with his son to, to uh, Minnesota. But when you look at Denver's situation, they, they need a long-term quarterback. Right now they have Joe Flacco. Flacco's on a, a contract that has this year and two more, but it's really year to year. The Broncos can get out of it at any time. So who's the future in Denver? Right now, it's a gigantic question mark. And again, we talked about the Raiders needing a quarterback. This is the division they play in. Well, Denver plays in the same division. And Denver's not beating anybody in the AFC West that matters with, with Joe Flacco. I, I don't even think Joe Flacco would argue that if he gave him a little bit of truth serum. So... Do they take Drew Locke? Or do they say, no, we're going to take Devin Bush. We're going to take Ed Oliver if he's there. We're, we're going to take Cleveland Farrell. Uh, take your pick on the defensive side of the ball. Maybe they're not bothered by Montez Sweat and, and what, for all intents and purposes, this is an enlarged heart. Maybe they don't care about that. Maybe they feel okay about it. But that's a spot to watch. And then the Bengals. Marvin Lewis coached the Bengals for roughly four millennia and never won a playoff game. They brought in Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor, first-year head coach, quarterback coach at his previous stop with the Rams. He's going to want to put his own stamp on this team. Sink or swim, it's his show. They're picking 11. If Dwayne Haskins is there, 
from Ohio State, a couple hours up the road, same state as the Bengals playing. Are they going to pull the trigger on that? Now, they had the worst defensive football last year, and they did a little in free agency, as is the Bengals' way, to fix that. So they could certainly say, no, we're not going to take Haskins. We're going to go defensive here. And that's fine. But if you want to move on from Andy Dalton at some point, that is the move. It is to take the first-round quarterback. And this year, the Bengals aren't going to compete anyway. So maybe you say, you know what? We'll play Andy Dalton the first half of the year. Then we'll slide in Dwayne Haskins, and we'll go from there. At this point, there's no guaranteed money left on Dalton's deal. He is, he's got this year and one more. Okay, next year is due $17.7 million. If they cut him, they keep it all. There's no cap hit if they were to release Andy Dalton next year. So what do you do? Now, look, the Bengals could say, we think Will Greer and Dwayne Haskins are basically the same guy, and we think Will Greer will be there in the second round. We'll take him. Okay, it's possible. But don't be surprised if the Bengals go quarterback there. And so my original point was, Murray's not going any further than fourth down the list. Okay, he gets to the Raiders. They're going to run to that, that podium with the car. Then you look at the rest of the way, and you say, okay, well, the Giants at six. Could they take a quarterback? Yes. My guess is they take a defensive player there, but they could. And then 10 and 11, do the quarterbacks go there? If those quarterbacks don't go there, then the fall is on. Because, yes, the Giants are sitting at 17. Yes, the Redskins are also sitting in the middle of that draft at 15. Both can take quarterbacks. It's possible that those guys, Locke, Haskins, Daniel Jones, all end up falling there, and one of them ends up falling a heck of a lot farther. However, if Denver and Cincinnati both go, you know what, we, we need first-round quarterbacks, we're going that way. And Murray goes early, then you might see the Giants scrambling to trade up to get ahead of the Redskins. The Redskins might be trying to trade up with the Packers at 12. The Packers are in a great spot at 12 because they could easily get a lot of phone calls to that spot for teams that are desperate for quarterbacks. Something to keep an eye on uh, because the draft is driven by quarterbacks, as is the league. And certainly, uh, I think you're going to see a lot of action surrounding those players come Thursday night. So, we'll wrap up with the NFL schedule because I, I think everybody who's an NFL nerd, they love the schedule. I love the schedule. I'm a nerd, Okay. It's fun to look at the slates and just kind of pick out some interesting things. And, and I talked about these things in my column, Stacking the Box, which goes up every Monday, 6 a.m. Eastern on Fan Side. And hopefully uh, you read it, you check it out. And if you have recently, then I apologize because you might hear a few things I've already written. But I think they're important. Um, the NFL's got to do a better job with paying attention to the finer points on the schedule and prioritizing teams over every single dollar they can possibly grab. The NFL loves playing internationally because they feel they're growing the brand. And there's truth in that. Those games in London do very well. The games in Mexico City that they've, have, that they've had in the past have done very well. And so I understand the NFL's inclination to say, look, we're going global. We're going to do this to the best of our ability. I am skeptical that they will ever have a full-time team in London because of travel issues. But, again, I respect, okay, trying to grow the game. And that's fine. The problem I have with this is the way they've done it. And I will go from the top down 
The Chargers should have been calling the league office and just screaming. Week 11, they play the Chiefs on a Monday night game in Mexico City. It is a home game for the Chargers. How is that fair to the Chargers? Not only do they have seven home games while the Chiefs, who are their main rivals in the AFC West, have eight. The game against the Chiefs, the game that you could argue the Chargers have to win more than any other game on their schedule to have a shot at being a one seed win the division, they have to play that game in Mexico. And look, the Chiefs just simply have more fans than the Chargers. That's going to be, I would expect, a lot of Chief fans to travel to that game. A lot of them. Chief fans travel well. And look, if the game was at the StubHub Center, or whatever they call it stadium now for the Chargers, yeah, the Chiefs would have a lot of fans there too, but at least the game's at home. The Chargers don't have to travel, don't have to worry about this stuff. The Chiefs have to come across the country. Now these teams are going to Estadio Azteca, now to Mexico City. It's a, it's a joke. If you're a Chargers fan, you should be great. And then the two teams have a rematch week 17 in Kansas City, December 29th. Chargers won their last year. Crazy game. I was at that game. Uh, wild ending. It was cold as, as all get out. But you got to think of the Chiefs. You're pretty happy that game's in December, not September, right? Even though last year didn't work out for it. It's worked out plenty of times in the past, and they've played the Chargers in December. So the Chargers get screwed by the international schedule. But not as bad, believe it or not, as a few other teams. The Raiders, and then look, I want to say too, Adam Schefter pointed this out. This has been talked about before. I'm not the only one who's noticed this, but was certainly looking at it when I was looking at the schedules and, and joining the course. So the Raiders open the season, a couple of home games, Denver, Kansas City, and they go on the road for two. And then they play the Bears week five at home. But the game's in London. If you look at the Raiders' schedule, this is how it plays out from week three through week eight. At Minnesota, at Indianapolis, at London against Chicago, by week, at Green Bay, at Houston. I know one of those games is technically a home game. That's five road games in a row with a bye week sandwich then. They don't play at home from September 16th all the way till November 3rd. They're done. I don't care what the Raiders did. That's impossible to overcome. And, and those road trips, by the way, not exactly against easy teams. First of all, week two is that last home game. They play the Chiefs. That's not going to be a picnic. Then they're at Minnesota. They're going to be an underdog. At Indianapolis, underdog. At London against Chicago, underdog. At Green Bay, heavy underdog. At Houston, significant underdog. And then they close the season by playing on the road at Los Angeles, the Chargers, and at Denver. That is brutal slate of games. Brutal. I just, I, and, and by the way, if that's not enough for you, okay, they played Denver week one at home. The game is a 10-20 start, granted, Eastern, 10-20 start. Okay, it's the second half of the Monday night doubleheader. So they they have a much shorter week than the Chiefs. Now, granted, the Chiefs have to go out there week two, but the Chiefs are getting them off a short week. And oh, by the way, the second time they play the Chiefs on December 1st, week 13, the Chiefs are coming off a bye. It's, the Raiders couldn't have gotten more screwed with the schedule. The schedule is impossible. Impossible. And so as you graduate and head out into the world, there's only one thing that you need to know. Hi, this is Jamie from Progressive. Yeah, I can talk now. Progressive protects you 24-7. So tell me what happened. 
Oh, I'm sorry, Gene. Can you give me one second? Um, Rorschach for every meal. Congratulations and thank you. Sorry about that. I'm back. So tell me about this fender bender. Contact us 24-7 on the phone, online, or on the mobile app. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Covered subject to policy terms. The other team who's got a gripe is Tampa Bay. Okay, Tampa Bay again. Screw the international slate. So the, the, the Buccaneers go to London Week 6. They play the Panthers. They're technically the home team. Week 4 at the Rams. Week 5 at the Saints. Week 6 at London against Carolina. By week, week 7 at Tennessee. Week 8 at Seattle. Week 9. I mean, what are we talking about? They're not home from September 23rd until November 10th. These are two teams that finished the last place in the divisions last year. I mean, that would be hard enough for New England. You're putting out on those two teams? Unfair. It's unfair. The NFL has to pay more attention to that. And if that means the schedule comes out a week later than it normally does, which is right before the draft. I love looking at the schedule. And I know it's an impossible task to make every single person happy. I get it. But that is just impossible. That is so hard. And then there's some other schedules you look at and say, not bad. You know, pretty easy, pretty straightforward. The, the Ravens have an oddity in their schedule. They they alternate home or actually away home the entire year. One for one, all the way down. And they start the year with Miami and Arizona. Could very well be 2-0 before they go to Arrowhead. Week 8, they have a bye straight in all the season. You're the Ravens. That's a pretty favorable schedule. You get the Patriots off a bye at home on Sunday Night Football, so you're well-rested, have a couple weeks to get ready. Not a bad schedule for them. Speaking of the Patriots, look, their schedule is always one of the easier ones because the division they play in has been very easy. Uh, But they've got to be happy. They open up at home on Sunday Night Football against Pittsburgh. That'll be an interesting game. I like that they play the Jets on Monday Night Football in East Rutherford, Week 7. I find that game fascinating. The Jets are finally a team that I believe could make a playoff push this year. And then Week 14, they play Kansas City. Everybody thought that was going to be the Week 1 Sunday Night game. Wasn't the case. And it's not even a primetime game. It's 425 Eastern Week 14. That game can be deciding where the AC Championship game's held. Um, but just found that interesting. That is... Uh, a game that I thought for sure would be under the lights. It will not be alone. Sure, it will be a standalone game on CBS. And then the last thing I want to talk about, Seattle. Very interesting schedule toward the middle point of the season, later middle point. They play one primetime game first nine weeks. It's just their Thursday night game. It's hosting the Rams. A big game week five. Week 10 at San Francisco, London Night Football. They have a bye week, week 11. Week 12, Sunday Night Football at Philly. Week 13, Monday Night Football, home to Minnesota. Week 14, Sunday Night Football at the Rams. So they don't have a buy in there, but four games in a row. Quarter of the schedule, they're all prime time. And three of them are on the road. Two divisional games. That's a, that's a hell of a slate for the Seahawks. Jeez, I hope you enjoy watching Russell Wilson. You should. and You're going to get a lot of it. That is... <laughs> You don't see that too often. You don't see teams two times in a row uh, very often on primetime. What about four? But you're going to get a heavy dose of Seattle. Of course, that is at the time of the year that if something goes wrong with Seattle or one of the teams they play, it can flex out of the Sunday night games. But still, it's a whole lot of the Seahawks. So, with that being said, I want to thank everybody. We didn't have a podcast last week. My apologies. 
uh, had, a, had a technical issue that we just could not work around. We tried our best. We really did. Um, unfortunately, couldn't get it resolved, but it's fixed now, obviously, so we're good to go there. I want to thank our, our sponsors over at Fanatics, uh, fansided.fanatics.com. Go there, save 20% on shipping when you use the code word fansided. And look, with the NFL draft coming up, you got all the new hats coming out, you got jerseys to buy, you've got everything you can imagine from a fan standpoint, it's out there. So go grab it. Fanatics, they'll do you right. They do a great job. Um, and look, I say this every week, and I genuinely mean it. Go to fanside.com and check out all the content. They've got the NBA and NHL playoffs going on right now. We have so much stuff up on those things, on, on Game of Thrones, we cover entertainment. We have the NFL draft, of course. Anything and everything NFL is covered. Anything. Okay, we have a ton on baseball. have a ton on soccer. And not just, you know, look, blogs always get the whole, oh, it's snarky, it's just that. And that. A lot of smart content, a lot of good content. Columns, features, interviews. I couldn't be prouder of the stuff the fansite's putting out. I really implore you, make fansite.com part of your daily rotation. Just check it out. Go there. Read a piece to it. I think you'll really like it and you'll come back. Um, and if you like this podcast, well, then you'll love fansite.com. So, with all that being said, the NFL draft from right now, 49 hours away. And Josh Hill and I will be back very beginning of next week. It'll be Monday. It will be Monday next week. We'll record this podcast. We'll get every draft thought out. We'll blow it out. We'll have tons and tons of analysis. It'll be a longer show. Uh, and we appreciate every one of you for listening. Please like the podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to it. Get a hold of Hill or I either on our own personal Twitter or on Stacking the Box, at Stacking the Box on Twitter. Really appreciate any and all feedback. So thank you so much for listening. And Hill and I will be back again next week to break down all things NFL Draft. At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. Ted, wake up. What? You look exactly like me. I am you, Ted, from the future. You need to call Progressive. What? Why? Well, they have 24-7 protection when you bundle your home and auto. And my teleportation cube just smashed into your car. Wait, you crashed into my car? Technically, it's our car. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations.